I live in Elkhart, Indiana. If you're not familiar with the city, let me share what we are most known for. We are considered the RV capital of the world. Half of all the uh, recreational vehicles that you see on the road were actually made in Elkhart. In fact, we even have an RV Hall of Fame. And it's actually cooler than it sounds. I've actually been to it, and it's kind of cool. We also have the Elkhart County 4-H Fair. It's the largest county fair in the Midwest, and there's close to a quarter of a million people attend each year. It's known for its giant elephant ears and sweet Indiana cord. And of course, like any fair, it's got plenty of rides and attractions. Now, I must confess, I haven't been to the fair in a number of years, so I don't know if, this, if our fair has this or not, but many fairs do, and that's a, a house of mirrors. I'm sure you've been in one before. Each mirror reveals an image of you, but it's distorted. It's not actually accurate. Sometimes it makes you look really wide. Don't like those. Sometimes it makes you really skinny. Love those. Sometimes tall, like that. And sometimes short, don't like that. It looks like you, but doesn't perfectly reflect who you are. You know, nothing is hidden from the Lord. Unlike with people who, who see a portion of who we are, but don't know every last detail of who we are, God knows us completely. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And today, we're looking at Revelation 3 as we finish our look at seven specific churches that Jesus had a message for. Jesus saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of each of these churches. Speaking of mirrors, the Bible is sometimes referred to as a mirror. When we read it, we are to see ourselves in it and what needs to be changed in our lives. When we look at these seven churches, in some ways, they are a mirror of our own lives. Though the churches existed 2,000 years ago, there are many of the same type of issues we face today in our lives and in our churches. And so there's a lot we can learn. Now, I want to review something I shared last week. That in these letters to the churches, there are typically five C's that are a part of the letters. Number one, Christ. It typically begins the letter with something, a description about who Christ is, an attribute, a quality of Christ. Number two, compliments. Now, not every single church got one, but most of them did, got a compliment from, from Jesus, something that he uh, uh, affirmed them in, in their behavior. Number three was concerns. Most of the church had it, a few didn't, two in fact didn't. One in chapter two, one in chapter three, as we'll look at today. Concerns, uh, something going on in the church that needed to change. And then number four, commands that, uh, okay, here's what you need to do. Jesus said, you need to obey this command so that they're not concerns anymore. And then the last thing, number five, is consequences, both good or bad. He, he would share, these are the consequences if you don't straighten up. And he's, here's the consequences if you do, if you do what is right. Here's the reward for it. And so I want to encourage you to do something I encouraged last week, if you, saw, if you saw or listened to last week's talk, is to read through chapter 2 and 3, write those five C's down, and write down what you learn for each of the churches with those five, and then simply ask yourself, what's the application for my life? So I want to encourage you, if you, you, you did it last week, well done. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. Write the five C's, Christ, compliments, concerns, commands, and consequences, and then go through and study chapter two and three and write what you learn.
Okay? Well, today we have three churches. We looked at four last week. We have the last three churches. And the first one in chapter 3 is Sardis. Uh, Sardis was once a very prominent and wealthy city. It was built on a steep hill, which gave it a sense of invincibility against attack. And yet, it was attacked and defeated twice in 549 B.C. and 218 B.C. because it grew lazy. It thought it was invincible, but it wasn't. And then the town was devastated by the great earthquake of 17 A.D. The church of Sardis mirrored the city. When Jesus wrote to the churches, the, the current reality did not match its former glory. Like the city that thought it was still vibrant and alive, the church too was living under the illusion that it was also still vibrant and alive, but Jesus bursted that bubble. Look at verses one through three. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. This church had no true spiritual vitality, even though they were busy religiously. Remember, being busy for God does not mean you are walking with God. Just like the Pharisees in the Gospels that, that Jesus came down hard on. And the truth is, we may have more Pharisees in our churches than we care to admit. As I was studying through some of the commentaries, I came across something that Charles Swindoll wrote in his Revelation commentary, and I think it's worth sharing. He shared five marks of a dead church. Number one, a dead church worships its past. Number two, a dead church is inflexible and resistant to change. Number three, a dead church often has carnal and lazy leadership. Number four, a dead church neglects children and youth. And number five, a dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal. So let's go ahead and personalize this. Not so much for the church, but for our individual lives now. So I want to give you five questions to consider. Number one, am I relying on the past spiritual victories in my life? Number two, I willing to make the changes God desires for me, or have I grown comfortable? Number three, have I gotten spiritually lazy and carnal in my life, allowing things to creep into my life? Number four, am I more focused on myself, or am I mentoring, discipling the next generation? Who am I breathing into? Am I breathing into anyone? And number five, Am I going through the motions instead of having a true zeal for reaching people with the gospel? How active am I in really going after uh, the kingdom of God and reaching people? And here's the deal. Maybe as you evaluate those five marks of being more dead than alive spiritually, maybe one or two or more of those were convicting. And maybe you're watching and listening to this and maybe you're on life support right now. 
Or maybe you're growing, but you have gotten a little spiritually lazy. You've drifted some. Listen, I've been there. I think that the commands of Jesus for this church are ones that we need to obey. And primarily, there's a lot here in this passage, but primarily, if I were to sum it up in just a couple words, Jesus is saying, wake up! (laughs) Wake up from your spiritual slumber. You know, my wife, Becky, and I, we have very different uh, methods for waking up our kids. Now, uh, most of our kids are older now, so they wake themselves up. But we do still have a couple uh, that uh, we go in and we wake up in the morning. And so my wife's approach is, is very sweet, very gentle. She'll, she'll go in and she'll just nudge him just a little bit. Okay, sweetie, it's, it's time to wake up. And typically she'll go do something and come back and inevitably they haven't moved and okay now come on it's time to get up and she'll she'll just pull the blanket just a little bit not too much and she'll kind of help get them up and very sweet um my my approach is a little different uh okay a lot different uh i like i come on let's go right that's my approach i I am one of those obnoxious morning people i'm like you know tons of energy kind of persons and i don't even drink coffee can you imagine if i drink coffee well my approach i go in and i'm like time to get up come on and i'm like shoving them i'm pushing them out of bed i'm pulling the blanket all the way off i have even on rare occasions and i'm sure they need they deserve this poured a a little bit of water over their heads okay what rare exception i hardly ever do that <laughs> my, my point is my wife and i have very different approaches to waking them up and uh you know it, it's interesting because because sometimes god may come with a a, a sweet and gentle whisper <laughs> like my wife in, in seeking to draw us to himself um, wanting to address an area in our lives But sometimes God will come to each of us loud and forceful like I do with my kids. Now, he won't be obnoxious like I am because he's God. But, you know, sometimes when God is calling to wake us up, he's gently leading us. But sometimes he'll come and he'll come strong. Let me ask you a question today. What is it that God could be bringing into your life right now to help you wake up spiritually and return to your spiritual vibrancy. Maybe it's a trial that you're facing now and maybe God's using that to get your attention. Maybe it's someone who's come into your life and and you look at their life and you're like, wow, they have a lot more passion for Jesus than I I used to have that, but wow. And and maybe God's using that. It could be a number of things, but maybe, Maybe God is using some circumstances in life to say to you, wake up. I want to see that spiritual fire in your life. Well, let's move on to the second church, and that is Philadelphia. This was the first city of brotherly love. And Philadelphia was also decimated by the earthquake of 17 AD. Uh, And as a result, many Philadelphians moved away. And what was left was really just a small town. I'm sure uh, at some point you've gone through a small town and you go through it and and it's like, you know, one day this was a vibrant town, but now it's kind of like a ghost town, right? This was kind of Philadelphia. It, it, It wasn't what it used to be. 
But in this town, there was a large Jewish population in the city. And it conflicted with the Christians who, of course, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And the result was a small but committed body of believers who banded together as they faced persecution from both the Romans and from the Jews. I love this church because they were small but scrappy. I love it. Listen, I'd take a small but committed body of believers than a large, complacent, consumer mentality, pew-sitting church any day of the week. Never underestimate what great things God can do with little vessels. If you don't believe me, just go back and review the kind of people that God used in the Bible. It was D.L. Moody who once said, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. God took that rebellious young man working in a shoe store and used him to be one of the great evangelists in the world in the 1800s. Philadelphia, along with Smyrna in chapter 2, have the privilege of being the only churches that Jesus did not have a concern with. They were small, but they were spiritually mighty. Look at verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I think that's referring to a coming day, and this is for all believers of all generations, a, a coming day of, of, of seven-year tribulation, but we'll get to that later, uh, later into the book of Revelation. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. This was significant because of the earthquake. To have a temple of God that was firm, a foundation, was an encouragement for them to hear. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. We'll look at that at the end of the book which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, like I said last week, chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's a lot there. There's a lot we're not going to cover. I'm just pulling out a few things for us by way of application uh, in these two chapters. So let me just kind of summarize what Jesus is saying. He's saying you may be insignificant, by the world standards, but you will pack a punch for the kingdom and against the evil one. Uh, we launched a church called Church on the Rock. The name was chosen based on the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, the Greek word is petros, meaning single stone. And on this rock, 
Now the word is switched to Petra, the Greek word Petra, which actually means boulder or cliff. And that's significant. You are Peter, single stone, and on this rock, which is Christ, the cliff, right, the boulder. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A church, a believer who surrenders fully to Jesus' leadership will pack a spiritual punch for the kingdom. Because Jesus, verse 7 says, holds the key of David. He opens and closes doors. In other words, he's sovereign over all. Notice the phrase in the next verse, little power. This may seem like an insult, it's not. Little is the Greek word makros. It's where we get our word micro, small, tiny. But the word power is the Greek word dunamis, and it's where we get our word dynamite. I love this. Let me tell you something. A little dynamite can go a long way. I mean, don't check it out for yourself. Trust me. A little dynamite can go a long way. Like the church in Philadelphia, let us keep his word and not deny the faith in word or deed. Verse 8. And let us endure with patience the trial, suffering, and persecution that may come our way as followers of Jesus. Verse 10. The evil one and all the rebellious will one day bow at the feet of Jesus and at the feet of those of us who have faithfully followed him. Verse 9. Be encouraged today. We are Petros. We are small stones, but we are led by Petra, the boulder, and the gates of hell can't prevail. We are Macros. We're tiny, but we have dunamis, dynamite power. If you only remember one thing in my message, maybe this is it. Remember this. We are to focus on faithfulness. God produces the fruitfulness. And don't underestimate what God can do in small pack, through small packages, through seemingly insignificant people. We see it throughout the scriptures. All right, one more church, Laodicea. Laodicea was also decimated by an earthquake, but this one was in 60 AD. But instead of staying weak, it pulled itself up by its bootstraps. It was a very self-reliant community. And it became one of the wealthiest cities in the region. But sometimes the problem with wealth is that you don't see your desperate need for a savior. It can blind us of spiritual poverty. The church reflected the city. They thought they were rich, but by God's standards, they were poor and even pitiful. Look at verses 15 through 18. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen." and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see.
Let, let me just state the obvious. Our lives should not cause Jesus to want to vomit. Okay? I have some Bible college, uh, seminary training. I have the degree, right? Okay, but you don't need a degree in Bible to understand this is not what your life to be described as making Jesus sick to his stomach, metaphorically. Right? Probably you don't need to serve an illustration about a time I threw up. Okay, it's pretty clear what Jesus is saying. But let's be honest. We've all probably had seasons in our spiritual lives where we have felt spiritually lukewarm. I have. And so this verse is jarring because I don't want to make Jesus sick to his stomach when he observes my life. I mean, my Savior died on a cross to cover my sins. And I'm guessing you don't want to either with your life to, to, to make it sick, make Jesus sick to his stomach. So what's the cure? If that's where we find ourselves, a place of, of lukewarm spot in our life, what's the cure? Well, according to verse 18, Jesus says, By gold from Jesus, refined by fire, buy from him pure garments, and salve so the eyes can see. Now, this is where understanding the culture, the, the context, the historical context, actually helps out quite a bit. In Laodicea, there was great wealth great wealth, but they needed gold from Jesus, which alludes to gold refined by fire, meaning they needed some discipline from the Lord to humble them. Laodicea was known for their expensive black wool, but they needed to be cleansed white as snow through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Laodicea had a medical school in one of the temples to their gods that was supposed to uh, heal bad eyes. But Jesus says, only I can heal your blindness. There's a lot there, but Jesus summarizes what he's saying in the next verse, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove, reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And we've heard some hard-hitting words from Jesus today to two of the churches. Wake up, you're dead, and you make me want to vomit. But I want you to know that behind it all is love. Jesus loved these churches, and he loves you and me. And you may be facing some, some difficult times in your life. Maybe some things are falling apart. Maybe the things you put your hope in are not working out. Maybe you're watching or listening to this and you feel discouraged, frustrated, and defeated. What a good place to be. I mean it. Because that's the place where we can humble ourselves and turn to Christ for strength and help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Maybe it's all part of Jesus's plan to say to you, wake up! I love you enough to discipline you. I want you to find your identity in me. I want you to find your joy in me. I want you to discover that worldly goals and values fade away, but what's done for Christ lasts for eternity. Maybe he's saying today, you're a little stone, but I am a great boulder. Let's create some spiritual dynamite. Live out your true calling. 
of what Christ created you to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words, strong words today. Words that maybe we need to hear. Lord, help us navigate the things that we're experiencing in our day-to-day life and and see beyond just the here and now and, and see what bigger picture, what you're trying to do to wake us up and to stir in us a a spiritual zeal and passion to follow hard after you and to give our lives to serving the kingdom of God instead of serving and bowing in knee to the things of this world. Show us, each one of us, what the application is for our lives today, 2,000 years later, from these churches. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by God's word today. You can join us each weekday morning for a five-minute fill-up. And for other teaching, writing, and training resources, don't forget to check out our website at uncagedbibleministry.com. The mission of Uncaged is to help people fall in love with the Word of God so they fall more in love with the God of the Word.